So the question this morning, Jake, what do you preach about on the first Sunday of the new year? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, the running joke amongst those in my profession has been for all of the January sermons to have something to do with 2020 vision. Which is not a bad thing, but if everybody's doing it, it's kind of cheesy. Um, um, but then you have this whole thing about, and this, this is what I can't get my head around yet, this whole thing about, is this the first year of a new decade, or is it the final year of the former? I mean, you don't count from one to nine, you count from one to ten. But again, so there's still that argument going on. So, so what do you preach about? Well, prior to December, we were in Matthew chapter 13 with Kingdom Encounters, and, and Jesus, He's been teaching truths regarding the kingdom of heaven, and He's teaching through His parables, and He tells the story of the sower and the seed and the wheat and the tares and the treasure that was found in the field and, and the pearl of great value. And at, the, and at the end of chapter 13, Jesus, you know, He goes back to His hometown, and whereas the Scripture tells us really in John chapter 1 that his own didn't receive him. He goes home and, and his home folk, you know, they're not able to reconcile the one they watched grow up with the one who would ultimately take away the sins of the world. They, they had a hard time with that. And, and we, then we had Advent and Christmas and, and, and we looked at Jesus' birth accounts in, in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and and Luke 2 on a, one of the Wednesday nights, and then Christmas Eve we, we looked at John 1. And this morning we're going to pick up where we left off, in Matthew chapter 14. So Matthew chapter 14. Um, and I think it, that as we look at this chapter on this first Sunday of a new year, we're going to see some things that I believe the Lord wants to point out to us. Matthew 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For when Herod had John arrested, Herod bound him and put him in prison because of... <laughs> Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to Herod, It's not lawful for you to have her. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, Herod feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, give me, the give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although Herod was grieved, he commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. 
Herod sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And John's disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and they went and reported to Jesus. Wow, Jake, this is how you're starting 2020. Happy New Year. <laughs> well, there's a reason for that. Herod hears this news about Jesus. And, and this Herod is the son of Herod the Great. And if you remember in the last few weeks the story of Herod talking to the Magi, the wise men, Herod the Great is the one that's in power during that time, the birth of Jesus, the time of the Magi. And, and Herod dies during that time that Joseph, when Joseph was told in a dream to take the child and his mother and, and flee to Egypt. And, and Joseph, while it's still night, does that. Um, they go to Egypt in order to protect baby Jesus during Herod's slaughter of the innocent children due to Herod's envy and rage and jealousy and paranoia. Well, years later, Herod the Tetrarch, the son, he has heard the ministry of Jesus. He's heard about, uh, you know, we've had all these chapters of the kingdom encounters, and, and Herod is hearing all these things that are going on with Jesus, and, and he's hearing about the ministry, he's hearing about the miracles. And so Herod, Herod the Tetrarch says to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead, and this is why miraculous powers are work in him. Well, we've missed something. John, John the Baptist is dead. Well, what happened? Well, if you remember way back when we started Kingdom Encounters back in July, John the Baptist, you know, he's the cousin of Jesus. He's dressed in camel hair. He wears this leather belt, which points way back to the prophet Elijah. And, and John lives in the wilderness and he eats locusts and honey. Uh, he's kind of a wild man. And, and he preaches this message of repentance. It's a message for the conviction of sin and, and a call for baptism as a public sign of this repentance. He's a forerunner of Jesus. John was one that when it came to the, the scribes and the Pharisees coming to him, I mean, he called them out. He called them a brood of vipers. I mean, he was, you know, he was a bit of a figure. And He's a forerunner of Jesus, and he baptizes Jesus, not because Jesus is a sinner. Jesus is without sin. Jesus is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, but Jesus' baptism by John signifies the beginning of the public ministry of the Son of God. And, and, and John, he's a firebrand. And, and John calls sin for what it is, and, and John the Baptist calls out Herod. And Herod arrests John. Well, this morning, you see this flash of panic in Herod's face, and then Herod gives us a flashback. There in verse 3, Herod has John arrested, and, and Herod 
binds John and puts him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because John has been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her. In Mark chapter 6, it says that Herod, the tetrarch of Galilee, he's had John arrested and bound in prison because of Herodias, because Herod has married his sister-in-law. She was the former wife of his brother Philip. And John has told Herod it's not lawful. And so Herodias has a grudge against John, and she wants John to be put to death. But she's not able to do She's not able to do that. She can't call that shot. Herod wants to put him to death because Herodias is breathing down his neck, but he fears the crowd because the crowd regards John as a prophet. And Mark adds that, that, that even though Herod was afraid of John, Herod knows that John is righteous. He's a righteous man. He's a holy man. And, and Herod keeps him safe and, and Herod would listen to John. He, and he, he was very perplexed when he listened to John, but, but he enjoyed listening to the things that John said. Well, then there's the birthday party. A strategic day when Herod gives himself a birthday party. Isn't that sweet? A banquet for his lords and his military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. In Matthew, we read that, that Herod's birthday comes, and at this party, the daughter of Herodias dances before them and pleases Herod. Pleases Herod so much, to such a degree, that Herod promises with an oath to give her whatever she asks. Well, this is a tad awkward. <laughs> um, She pleases Herod, she pleases the dinner guests, and the king says to the girl, this is what the Gospel of Mark says, ask for me whatever you want and I will give it to you. So she's a girl. And old Herod, you know, he, he gets a little carried away. He, and if you're listening, <laughs> you're thinking, you know, this, this is a tad creepy. Herod is gone from being the creepy uncle to the creepy stepdad. It's a little unsettling. And the girl, implied from the text, is the daughter of Herodias and Herod's brother Philip. She's Herod's niece. She's kin. And, and we don't know for certain from the text, but since this is an event of royal revelry, Herod has thrown himself a birthday party. We'll assume that she was requested or commanded to perform. She probably just didn't, no pun intended, waltz in. Um, performers like to perform, though. And, and Herod is so overwhelmed with his senses, he swears to her, whatever you ask... I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. That's kind of wide open, isn't it? And, and we don't know anything about the daughter of Herodias. 
Um, Religious historians such as Josephus, poets such as Oscar Wilde, composers such as Richard Strauss have assigned the daughter the name of Salome. And sometimes she is depicted as the femme fatale. You know, the winsome, conniving seductress uh, that we've seen in movies or we've read about in novels. In Strauss's opera, she develops an unhealthy fixation and attraction for John the Baptist while he's in prison and after he's murdered. Well, you know, it's just a tad creepy. But all Scripture tells us is what we've read. She dances, and all the boys like it. Strauss's opera talks about this dance of the seven veils where she's clothed in veils, and she dances, and she begins to drop veil by veil by veil, and you get the picture. Anything you want up to half my kingdom. And Matthew tells us there in verse 8 that having been prompted by her mother, she says, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Mark tells us that that she goes out and, and she says to her mother, what shall I ask for? And mother dear, she says, the head of John the Baptist. And immediately she comes in a hurry to the king and asks saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. What kind of young girl, young woman would ask for this? Well, Matthew tells us that she's prompted by her mother. I mean, she could have had anything, anything up to half the kingdom. I mean, we could have read in in the annals of history that she was a co-regent, but whatever she wanted... And, you know, she runs to her mother because girls should be able to trust their mothers, right? What shall I ask for? Mark says that she immediately, in a hurry, she comes to Herod. I mean, what other kind of a hurry is there? (laughs) Uh, But Mark shows the intensity of the scene, and she states very clearly what she wants... And, and, and Matthew tells us that although Herod was grieved, he commands it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. You know, all the friends that he had at his birthday party. Although the king was very sorry, he was unwilling to refuse her because of what he said and who he said it in front of. and You see, this is why we're told to consider carefully this whole problem of of swearing oaths. The Old Testament has a collection of books contained in it that, that are known as the wisdom literature. And the book of Ecclesiastes has been commonly attributed to Solomon. And you remember wise old Solomon uh, who sat on David's throne. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 
reads this. Do not be hasty or impulsive in word or in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth, therefore let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words, in many dreams and in many words, there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Let your words be few. Boy, that's quite a warning for us as we start a new year. A fresh start is a good thing. We talked about that in Sunday school. We, talk, we tell that to the children at home. A new year, a new week, a new season, fresh start. We're told to not let our speech cause us to sin. And too many words, too many dreams, and too many vanities can lead to emptiness, can, can lead to sin. And if we're not careful, we can waste valuable time, valuable energy, valuable effort in these vainglorious impulses, these vainglorious pursuits, and we can get carried away with ourselves. We're told to let our words be few, and we're told to fear the Lord. Herod was grieved. Herod lost control. Herod got carried away, and Herod has realized he's made a fool of himself. And even though the text doesn't spell this out, his guests, they've seen Herod embarrass himself. He's creepy. He's lustful. He's lecherous. He's disgusting. He's foolish. But because he made these oaths in front of his dinner guests, he's not about to lose any more face in front of them. In the paranoid political arena, everyone's a rival. And he's not going to give any of his friends ammunition. Pride is a horrible, 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 ugly thing, isn't it? Especially when pride is put on parade with the mouth. So Herod, he sins and he has John beheaded in prison. 
Immediately, the king sends this executioner, and the executioner returns. The deed is done. John's head is brought in on a platter and is given to the girl, and she brings it to Mother Dear. Matthew tells us in verse 12 that John's disciples, they come and they take away the body, the body of John. They bury the body. And then they go and they report to Jesus. Jesus' response. Look, at, look there at the next verse, verse 13. Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. Jesus grieves. Jesus looks back at all these prophets, and he is called John the greatest of them. They've all spoken the words of God, and they gave all. They gave their very lives. And John did too. And I think that after looking back, Jesus looks ahead to what he will face. The cross. And Jesus will give his very life in a very painful way to provide salvation for us. Paying the sin debt for the forgiveness of our sins. Thanks be to God. Herod will actually be a part of this. In, in Luke chapter 23, Jesus, you know, he's, he's been arrested and he's brought before Pilate. And, and all the accusations to Jesus begin and, and they say things like, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And so Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers saying, it is as you say. Pilate says to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they keep on insisting. And, and he stirs up the people and he's teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. Well, then Pilate perks up. He, he says, is this man a Galilean? And he learns that Jesus belongs to Herod's jurisdiction. He's going to send him to Herod. He sends Jesus to Herod, who was in Jerusalem at that time. And Herod, you know, he's very glad to see Jesus. Because he's wanted to see Jesus for a long time. I mean, as we know, Herod's all about a good time. He's all about a show. And he's hoping to see some sign performed by Jesus. And so Herod questions Jesus at some length. But Luke tells us that Jesus answers Herod 
nothing. I think because Jesus remembers what Herod did with his cousin John. The chief priests and the scribes, they're standing there and they're accusing Jesus. And Herod with his soldiers, they, they treat Jesus with contempt. They mock him. They dress him in a, Luke tells us, a gorgeous robe. And they send him back to Pilate. But as we, as we know, the story doesn't end here. <laughs> and if you remember, this chapter this morning started with a flashback. Herod the Tetrarch has heard of Jesus' ministry and is paranoid. Why? Well, Mark tells us that Jesus' name has become well-known and, and people are saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And, and others are saying, he's Elijah. And others are saying, he's a prophet. Like one of the prophets of old, but when Herod hears of it, he keeps saying, John whom I've beheaded, has risen. Herod is afraid. Perhaps a blind panic, and he's afraid that John the Baptist has come back to life. We've seen Herod's fear of John's popularity, and we've seen Herod's fear of looking any further like a fool in front of his birthday party guests. And if Herod is afraid of John coming back to life, can you imagine when weeks later, when Jesus comes back to life, the Son of God comes back to life, what Herod will say then? Let's pray together. Lord, Lord, we are seeing a story that many of us have heard, perhaps many of us haven't heard or read in a long time, but we hear again. When we hear of the miraculous power of rebirth and new life, some men fear it. But Father, you have promised us new life through Jesus, through what Jesus has done for us, giving us very fellowship with you because of going to the cross. Father, thank you for the Son of God coming to dwell with man. Thank you this morning that we're able to take part in just a moment, a service of remembrance as we have bread and cup. And think again, remember again, your son's great sacrifice of love for us. As we prepare ourselves to take this, Father, in your spirit, speak to each of us. Do we approach this reminder of, of new life and rebirth with fear? Maybe we've not set things right with you. 
Maybe there's things we need to confess to you. Or do we come to the table ready to proclaim again salvation and new life in you? In your son's strong name we pray. Amen.